Hello, Carl. Fritz, how are you? Good, how are you? Okay, we're recording. Okay, great. So, uh, yeah, welcome to uh, the Gallup podcast. We call it the New American Veteran. And uh, using this amazing anchor app that Nick Kumlatsos introduced me to uh, allows us to have the conversation and uh, then share it with the whole world. That's great. Yeah, I awesome. loaded the app and it was super easy and I was able to jump right in. So it was uh, very streamlined. Well, buddy, I appreciate you making time to talk. Uh, for the benefit of the audience, would you tell everybody real quick uh, who you are and what you uh, serve in the Marine Corps, but a little of your background? Sure. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Fritz Slayer. I'm a 22-year veteran of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, I served conventionally in the infantry, and then I conducted intelligence operations for Marine Corps Special Operations Command uh, on the East Coast. And I'm currently enjoying retirement. I was just retired and uh, moving off into the world and see where uh, my path takes me. And congratulations on retirement, man. Thanks yeah. for all your years of serving, and thank you for my freedom. I love to say that to veterans when they uh, – anytime I run into a veteran, I always say thanks for my freedom because I think that that's a cool way to say thanks for your service, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thankful <laughs> forward for what you did when, uh, when, when I was the younger generation. Oh, that was my honor, man. It, uh, it was a blast. I wish I could still do it now. Uh, you and I got connected through the Raider Project on a retreat, yep. and uh, and we did some uh, some functional emotional fitness coaching there. It was kind of on the light side because of the large group, and then you went through some coaching later. And we just had the reason why I wanted to do this interview is because you shot me a message and said, like, hey, that burst stuff is great, but for guys like me, it might not work so well. And then I'm like, what the? What do you mean? You know, educate me on this. And then as you started talking about your traumatic brain injury and your particular circumstance and some of the resources that you turned to, I wanted you to walk through your experience there, what you learned, and then what does somebody that's out there that has a traumatic brain injury, and I know you're going to go into multiple traumatic brain injuries because in the military, it's not a one-time deal. And, uh, you know, I, I was uh, – you know, I walked the line between a uh, between being a smart ranger and a strong ranger, and I got thumped on the back of the head a couple of times. So sure. you, you get these multiple traumatic brain injuries, even micro, they can have a lifelong effect. So uh, just, just tell us kind of your experience there and, and what you've been through. Okay. Um, so I, a couple years ago, I, I had been under the suspicion for probably the greater part of a decade that I had PTSD. And like most uh, good soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors who want to keep continuing to fight, I suppressed it. I didn't fill out my questionnaires the right way, and I continued to deploy. And then I heard, surprisingly, a podcast um, about traumatic brain injury and how PTSD could and is in fact being misdiagnosed uh, for, uh, as, as PTSD when it is in fact TBI. So that really piqued my interest because they started listing the symptoms of TBI and some of it in the Venn diagram of PTSD and TBI and operator burnout and kind of depression and all that there there's on its own TBI has some physical manifestations that 
really piqued my interest. Like I never thought I was, I had simply because the culture is that if you didn't get blown up in an IED blast and get concussed and pass out for a period of time, you didn't have a TBI, you were experiencing PTS. Well, PTSD. and I, and I want to jump in here and say that some of those things cause that soldier or Marine to, um, to maybe exhibit a behavior or their performance level changes. And then all of a sudden they're misbehaving or they're less capable than they used to be. And they, the chain of command starts coming down on them. Like now they're a dirt bag. Sure. Right. So there's, there's symptoms, you know, we're being led by warriors, not by doctors. So there's a bottom line, there's a mission to be accomplished. And when, when you're in command, it's very hard to manage, um, you know, a unit that has very uh, high op tempo and a very specific and special mission that needs to be accomplished for operational and strategic goals. So when somebody starts wavering, the first thing that is usually thought is alcoholism or um, just, you know, kind of the culture being bad, you know, being a badass and, you know, moving through life. And, you, you know, once we get done with this, you'll finally get fixed and, and all that. So you're absolutely right where um, and, and really the type of personality that's drawn to this type of job isn't going to say anything anyways. Right. right? We're going to hide that. We're going to we're going to keep that away from from people because this is a very ego driven. It's a very personality driven, but it's a very judgy type environment. <laughs> the higher you move up the ladder in terms of uh, special units. So um, that podcast a couple of years ago piqued my interest about maybe I should start looking into TBI. So I started poking around and I had a friend who uh, was stationed at a, uh, another unit. And he said, Hey, I went through this program called NICO, the national intrepid center of excellence up at Bethesda Walter Reed in Maryland. And I said, Oh, what is that about? And he said, Oh, it's this intensive, uh, uh, programs, 28 days long, man. I feel like a brand new person. I said, that's exactly what I need. Now, what I didn't say to the audience is that I had four tours in Iraq. I had one in Afghanistan, one in uh, Africa. Um, those four tours in Iraq, three of them were in Fallujah city proper with infantry units, whether I was. Uh, you guys are just fighting. did stuff on the beach there, right? Like suntanning and beach volleyball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, and I wanted to, you know, and I was that guy, you know, I didn't go to war until my later years. It was probably about eight years into the Marine Corps before I actually saw combat. So I thought it was pretty mentally uh, resilient and prepared for what I was about to get into because I'd been training for it for so long. Yeah. Uh, and, and on the back end of it, I exhibited the classic high risk behavior um, symptoms coming off of back to back deployments, the drinking, the partying. Uh, I started smoking after 11 years in the Marine Corps. I was a sub 18, three mile runner and I started smoking, chain smoking, just weird things. Right. And so um, it hadn't been for another almost 10 years after all that happened that I started realizing maybe this isn't psychological because I had been to the counselors. Maybe this is something physiological mm -hmm. or, or physical. And so that's where I started gravitating toward maybe I am uh, uh, suffering from TBI. And the reason why I never really thought about it is because uh, I had been um, 
I had never been concussed in like a major explosion. Uh, I've been concussed in the military, whether it was PLFing after static line jumping or being too close to Miklik charges or shooting Carl Gustavs or mm-hmm. shooting Barrett, Barrett 50 cals, you know, um, I had been concussed, um, but not like the stereotypical, what you think a TBI is caused from. So, uh, I reached out, I got off my last deployment this last summer and my retirement date was November for, well, my terminal leave date was right around November 1st. And so I said, okay, I got to get in a high gear. I got to start taking care of myself. So I started pushing the issue through my command and I was able to secure a seat up at NICO. Now, now do you have to still be on active duty to go to that or can you go as a veteran? Um, you do uh, have to be on active duty from what I understand how, how NICO works. So you have NICO Maine, which is the center of excellence at Walter Reed Bethesda. It's a roughly a $30 million a year facility with a combination of Eastern and Western type medicines combined and cohorts of six guys go through at a time. Um, so every Monday, it's kind of like a basic airborne down at Benning. Every Monday, a new cohort mm-hmm. is picking up. And Friday, um, the cohort from four weeks ago is graduating. It's kind of, they're, they're bringing in these uh, six-man cohorts. And um, below NICO is the Intrepid Spirit Network, which is, I think right now it's built to 13. I might be mistaken. 11, my numbers might be a little off. Uh, major uh, military hospitals around the country. So I know Camp Lejeune has one. Madigan has one. Uh, Bragg has one. They're, they're, uh, Tampa has a program that they're kind of running a little bit more high-speed stuff on the SOCOM side, trials um, for TBI. What I really want to press upon is all the – well, so it turns out I have TBI. Um, I have 15 brain scars on top of severe PTSD. And, and how did they identify the brain scars? So the great thing about um, going to the world-class TBI clinic is that they also have a world-class uh, MRI uh, that shoots images that is rarely found around the world. So I'm not a doctor. I'm definitely not an MRI specialist, but it can do things that your normal MRI at a normal hospital can't do. So yeah. they shot they shot. I think it was 3,000 cuts of my brain and we're a- actually able to see the scars. And the reason th- you can actually see the scars because you have gray matter and white matter in your brain and it's separated by uh, like a film called myelin, myelin. And when you when your head gets rocked or you have concussive blasts, um, one is denser than the other, the brain matter, and it literally shifts on that myelin and it causes scars. So you can actually see those scars. Wow. So uh, it turns out I had 15 brain scars. That doesn't necessarily mean I have 15 TBIs because a couple could have happened um, at the same time, but I definitely have physical evidence of brain scarring. So I thought, so, you know, the process, the first week you go, you go into an intake with all these specialists, they ask you all these questions, and then you start doing sleep studies, you start doing uh, blood draws, they do the entire system, um, top to bottom, left to right, in and out, they are checking everything, and they draw down to what your actual causes are, not your symptoms. And in my case, and, and this is something else I want to put out to the audience. 
self-medication is 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 a scary thing right so in my case i was the classic guy i talked to every doctor about getting testosterone right i don't feel like the old me i'm tired all the time i don't really want to work out when i do work out i get hurt after a couple weeks um even taking it easy bending over i pull my back out right i thought there was something going on with my endocrine system where it turns out that when I got my blood taken, my testosterone levels were fine. My cortisol level was right on par. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. But it turns out that I was undiagnosed massive depressive for probably over a decade. So in my specific case, not only do I have TBI and PTSD, but what was actually causing the physical things on a day-to-day basis was depression. And that was mind-blowing to me because I would have never thought in a million years depression was causing the smoking and causing the not wanting to work out because what you're told in warrior transition when you come back is hey if you lose lack of interest you're suicidal if you lose lack of interest you probably have ptsd or combat stress right nobody wants to talk about operator burnout nobody wants to talk about depression and that's really the message in my specific case that i want guys to think about guys and gals the audience to think about is that bottom line we are not equipped to self-diagnose we are also not alone so i hope that the audience hears this and goes man that sounds exactly like me maybe i should start talking to somebody about this so so if they're not able to be one of those privileged six a month that goes to nico what, what do you know are there like if i'm in dallas or if somebody's in raleigh or chicago can they go to their doctor and say, hey, I suspect I've got uh, traumatic brain injury? Or can they go to the VA? What, how does somebody that thinks that they might have that, how do they go get that diagnosis? Um, well, the, the TBI world is quickly catching up to the PTSD world because I think a lot of there's a lot of study and data out there that is quickly coming to the surface saying, hey, it's probably not PTSD, although PTSD is there. Right. And so um, they would have, you know, if somebody hears this and wants to go get diagnosed, I think, first of all, like what you do in Burris coaching, Burris coaching, the emotional and physical health assessments are are on par. They're they're dead on. If you hit a certain um, uh, uh, point value, you need to go to your doctor. And I just hope that people talk to their doctors and say, look, I've been treated psychologically for PTSD and I feel no different. I can't think, I can't recall. I have, so the physical manifestations of TBI, some of the ones that rest outside of um, PTSD are short-term memory loss, of course, um, reduced. uh, Who am I talking to again? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. uh, reduced stress tolerances. And one of the most uh, interesting ones is the inability to recall words in a conversation. So something, a conversation that you were able to have um, prior, you start having the conversation on a, on a daily basis. And then you're, you're like, what's that word? Oh, I can't remember that word. When you start doing those things, that's where I think, people should start really thinking um, TBI as much as PTSD, at least. And then, and then what, uh, what, okay, so your doctor 
I go to my doctor and I say, you know, doc, I, I, I keep forgetting the word for pencil. And I got to tell somebody, hand me that pointy thing over there that you write with. Uh, and, and the doctor says, yeah, you probably have a, a TBI or they do a, a scan and they say, yeah, you do. Then what, 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 how, what kind of treatment, what do you well, do after that? Well, the first thing that you have to do a reassessment on is how many times you are actually concussed, right? So TBI is caused by either like a, a, a fall, a concussion or blast waves that cause a concussion in the brain just some type of concussive event. And that's what you're that the doctor, if he's, if he's read into TBI is going to ask you how many concussive events have you had? Right. So I think anybody listening should really just go back and go, Oh yeah, I got punched in the head during combatives and I got knocked out on this one PLF and I shot 20 Carl Gustavs in one day when we should have only shot two or whatever the, you know, whatever the um, mm-hmm. standard is. Even just shooting one. Even just shooting one, but there's definitely an SOP and you know how ranges go, right? Like if you have 20 and they need to be expended, we're not turning them back. Let's fire them. Yeah. Not turning them back into the ASP because nobody wants to do that. That's the reality of military and range time, right? So the first thing guys need to do is do that reassessment, that self-reflection. And the other one, and this is, you know, kind of that first conversation we had yesterday is that if they're, if they're really just embarrassed about their conditions, Like, I don't think PT guys that suffer singularly from PTSD are necessarily embarrassed about their conditions. They're more embarrassed about what happened that caused them to feel weak. Whereas with TBI, things like losing simple words in conversation, you know, when you're having a conversation and you're snapping your fingers and you're like, what is that damn word? When you're and it's it's embarrassing, right? Because we're A type personalities, we're highly intelligent, we're high functioning. Yeah, you don't want somebody to think you're stupid. Right. So, um, or just, you know, going into meetings and walking out of meetings and you're like, what did we just talk about? There are strategies also, and that's a whole nother thing during the treatment. You're not going to, there's no magic wand. The good news is that TBIs can with proper diet exercise, sleep is a big one. Um, and we we talked about that yesterday. Talk about sleep. So I think everybody knows that, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, um, that it is going to exasperate uh, whatever symptoms you already have, right? So um, reduce bandwidth with TBI or PTSD, which, by the way, real quick on PTSD, a lot of guys, I don't think, understand what PTSD actually is. It's the suppression of emotional events or thoughts about those events. So it's it, and the secretion PTSD, the actual flashbacks, or you smell something and you go, boom, I'm right back in Fallujah 04. Like for me, if I smell something that's like uh, decaying, that's what gets me right now. But what yeah. PTSD actually is, is the secretion of those emotions and thoughts around that uh, suppression uh, mechanism in your brain. Interestingly, it takes a lot of brain power up to 50 percent to suppress those thoughts and feelings. So when you're suffering from TBI, you're already giving up bandwidth to try to hold, to try to suppress those disturbing thoughts and feelings. So these things run hand in hand. So um, going back. uh, And then when you don't sleep, you're losing more bandwidth. Right. So you don't sleep. Now you have your increased irritability. You're, you're, um, hard on yourself, right? Like the common thing is like, why the fuck can't I go to sleep? Sorry for my language. Please bleep it out if we need to. (laughs) 
but it's a con you know you're laying in bed there's a ton of memes out there you know you're laying in bed at 3 a.m and there's like a squirrel with a you know funny wig on running around your brain you should be asleep at that point and a lot of guys go well why can't i sleep right so when i went to the tbi clinic that was one of the first things the first week was all about sleep hygiene and studies and i don't have apnea and that's another frustrating thing a lot of guys will go to these sleep studies and the 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 clinics that are out in town they're they're usually looking for something very specific like apnea so if you come in as a military guy they're gonna they're automatically what i've come across is is he apnatic does he have does he have sleep apnea and so there's a scale at what point you rate a machine and although i'm somewhat uh apnatic i don't have enough to rate the machine although i am a mechanical insomniac which means um i don't get into stage four sleep which is deep sleep which is necessary to rise then into rem sleep so you kind of go into these cycles all night long i kind of stay in stage one and two all night because of my heightened alert responses and when they at nico they did my uh sleep study and i would wake up not even knowing it wake up look around the room and go back to sleep and a lot of events just because i'm hyper aware hyper alert responses so i'm not snoring and i don't need a machine to 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 keep me uh asleep at night it turns out what i needed is uh, a medicine called neurotin or the uh uh there we go right there see i'm forgetting the word mm-hmm. uh, neurotin it's the the brand name is uh, gabapentin which is interestingly uh epileptic uh medicine and i'm at a very low dose 400 milligrams a night about an hour before i go to bed i do some meditation i take a hot shower to drop my core temperature right i make it a very um uh, soothing environment and then i go to sleep and i eat at now i'm i'm sleeping a solid six to eight hours a night and it has changed just doing that has changed my life and alcohol and that, is counterproductive to all of that advice. well so you know the alcohol thing is really right the alcohol and the tobacco use so what happens and this is really important for for guys out there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pontificate um about the use of alcohol i use alcohol um and and, and that's a given by no means am i a choir boy um, well, but, I believe in Ben Franklin saying that beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Well, I mean, those monks knew what they were doing, right? Absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's God's it's God's work. So he just made wine. Uh, the 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 problem with drinking before you go to sleep is you actually uh, go through withdrawals with alcohol and tobacco three to four hours into your sleep. So a lot of guys are like, I can get to sleep easy. It's not about going to sleep. It's about staying asleep. They drink alcohol to go to sleep. They can get to sleep fine. They sleep fine for about two hours. And then they wake up and they're, they're saying, what's wrong with me? And the problem is, is that they're going through withdrawals. So they're, they're getting pulled out of their physically, they're being pulled out of um, that deep sleep cycle. And so that, that's why, you know, good sleep hygiene is, is very, very important. The general rule of thumb is not to have a drink after dinner. So once you get a belly full of food, you start relaxing, play some video games to get your mind off the workday or watch your favorite show, whatever. 
you know, allow that to burn off. So as you go into, um, go to sleep, you've already gone through, uh, the physical, physiological, um, withdrawal. Yeah. So switch after dinner, switch to, to like some, uh, tea or something that's not, that have caffeine in it. That's more of a relaxing kind of drink. Sure. And, you know, I think the biggest thing I would say is that by no means does anybody out there expect everybody to just change their ways overnight and then maintain those ways. There are days where I slip right back into who I was a year ago. And what I learned through my counseling and through essentially what it was was TBI training is to forgive myself and then recognize when I'm going into that turning point and then going and then assessing and having the knowledge like I'm talking about now to say, okay, what did I do wrong? Oh, yeah, I had like two beers, 10 o'clock at night, went to bed soundly, but that's why I was up all night. And that's, that's why exactly what we had. We all have to do that. Not don't blame right. yourself and call yourself an idiot because you screwed up. What you have to do is you have to say, OK, why? What did I learn from this and how can I use that information so I don't make the same mistake again? That's Absolutely. what we've got to do. And I think the more, you know, the more serious topic that we were talking about yesterday, I think one of the questions you asked me was, you know, okay, if Burris isn't quite, when I said a guy like me, um, you said, if it, well, what could we do um, when we are coaching through Burris at the Gallant View um, to make sure a guy can go? Like if a guy actually chooses to reach out, which is the first step and everybody mm-hmm. out there, if you're the most strength and courage you can have is being vulnerable and reaching out. It's counterintuitive to what you were taught in the military. I well, and, 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 you know, I, I, I don't like to use the vulnerable word because that can drive some folks away. So what I replace that with is honest. You just have to be honest. It is. But there, you know, I, I can even tell you um, it was very frustrating the first week at the TBI clinic. Now this is the best TBI clinic in the world. Hmm. Where, what I was being told the whole first week was what was not wrong with me. Right. And I said, well, wait. And so I'm sitting there, I'm saying, no, don't tell me what is right with me. I don't want to know what's right with me. What I want to know is what's wrong with me. Why am I always mad? Why did I get divorced? Why am I yelling at my kids? Yeah. uncontrollably? Why is this stuff happening? I don't want to know that. My testosterone is fine. I don't want to know that my cortisol is fine. I don't want to know that the only thing wrong with my blood is that I have a vitamin D deficiency, which start taking vitamin D pills, by the way, everybody. Right. So I had to open up and not only be honest about my symptoms, but I had to be vulnerable, not only to what's wrong with me, but what's right with me. That was the real kind of psychologically once i worked through that it was like oh okay not everything in the world is wrong with me i'm actually a somewhat healthy guy i just i need to we need to draw it down to the cause and stop treating these symptoms mm-hmm. so being the word vulnerable and i use it very pointedly when i'm talking to warriors who spent their teenage years playing sports and being part of the guy crew and then joining these warrior services and then for whatever reason volunteered for the hardest stuff out there. <laughs> I look back on it and wonder why I put myself through all of that. I'm still um, trying to figure out why I didn't just join the air force. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. I do have, 
awesome wall that I can look at for the rest of my life. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it comes with consequences, right? And so, you know, what I, who I worry about the most, honestly, Carl, is the guys, the young guys who joined, the, you know, the warrior service, all the services, yeah. especially the ground combat arms services, um, that with the right motivation and the right pride of the nation to go do something to protect our way of life, but being 18 years old, I mean, the brain doesn't even fully, you're like 27, 28, right? Then doing the four to eight years, getting pissed off at your chain of command because you can't do the help. You're still suffering physically and psychologically from what you went through. And then you leave the military kind of pissed off and you're out there in the world. That's the guy I'm trying to reach that I want to. That makes that whole situation extremely difficult is that guy's probably going to go into a job that doesn't have health care. So the VA is, is going to be, it's going to be hard for them to get the VA to give them that kind of an assessment for a TBI. And they're not going to have the the super duper health insurance that's going to allow them to go to the best doctor in Dallas, Texas. So it is, it's tough. And we got to figure out a way that we can get that kind of care for those veterans. What I would say is, you know, for, for the audience, for the guys and gals out there is don't get caught up in the social media or the news about, about the VA, right? The VA is changing quickly. It's changing its practices. It's changing its policies. And if you don't have an e-benefits account, and if you're not keeping up with the actual veteran affairs news announcements, whether that's on LinkedIn, whether that is on Facebook, because everybody's like, oh, the VA sucks. Or the other one is the Wounded Warrior Project. Everybody hates on the Wounded Warrior Project, and they help me amazingly through the VA process. As a matter of fact, I signed over a um, power of attorney to their top legal advisor in the event that the, the VA, um, I have to go back and appeal the VA process. The Wounded Warrior Project has been there right for me. Nice. So, you know, I talked to guys are like, oh, the Wounded Warrior Project because of the financial stuff that went on five years ago. Well, they have a whole new group of guys in there, guys and gals, that are right there willing to help. They are, they are working hard. I, yeah, I won't, uh, I won't dispute that at all. They're working hard to change it. But that's one of those cultural things that we have to get over. Oh, the VA sucks. Oh, Wounded Warrior sucks. Well, here's, oh, but here's the sucks. thing. The reason the VA is getting better is because it's been pointed out that it sucks so much. And oh, what absolutely. we have to do is we have to use the VA, and if their care is not up to par, then we have to bring it to their attention. We have to report it to the their IG process. We have to do things that bring that attention on them. But Absolutely. don't not go because you've heard something bad about it. Yeah, and, you know, that's really what it is because when you are depressed, when you are suffering, when you hear, like, oh, the VA is not going to help you, man, you know, they didn't help me, you're like, well, why am I even going to try? Don't allow other people to influence your your decisions, your future decisions. Right? Yeah, and if just you go to the VA and they try to give you, uh, uh, you know, ten medications that you don't want, then ha- have that discussion with them. Ask right. for another opinion. Ask to be referred to a different doctor. You can do that. Today. Absolutely. Yeah. You take control of your of your healthcare, and and take control of yourself. I mean, it, you you owe it to yourself, right? So. Um, so I guess, I mean, that's about my, that's my soapbox anyways, unless you have any other questions. Well, so, okay. So I want to, 
if somebody out there wants to learn more, if they want to say, hey, can I, I'd like to talk to Fritz about this experience. First off, I'll tell you, you can call me and I will yep. refer them to Fritz. And my mobile phone number is 817-600-0514. That's 817-600-0514. You can also go to the Gallant Few website. That's gallantfew.org. And I'm going to spell it phonetically because people get it wrong. It's Golf Alpha Lima Lima. Alpha November Tango Foxtrot Echo Whiskey org, and in the top right, there's a. Uh, I want to contact somebody now, and you'll find my mobile phone number there. You'll find email, everything that you need. So get in our system. Let's get you connected. Let's get you the information. And Fritz, thank you so much for being willing to share your your story about this. Like yesterday, for reaching out to me and and uh, and just letting me know because that hopefully this will spread out there and somebody that that hears this will go holy cow i need to go talk to my doctor about this uh you're you're very welcome and i i just want to leave two uh pieces of uh i don't know information or food for thought for the audience that i learned specifically at the tb at the tbi clinic one is an old chinese proverb the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second (laughs) time to plant a tree is right now yeah. Right. And then the other one is the future is a fantasy and the past is a memory. And all of our fear and anxiety and hatred and anger lie in the future and the past. So be present. Understand that right now, right this second is the best time to plant that tree and that there, you're not alone and that people are there. If I can't get you the answers, I'm two phone calls away from finding those answers. So Thank you for having me. I'm glad I could get this information out somehow, and I hope we can keep collaborating on this in the future. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an honor to know you and to call you friend. So mm-hmm. I, I look forward mm-hmm. to continuing the conversation. Same here, Carl. Hi, buddy. Fritz, take okay. care. Hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I hope you all are awesome and everybody out there. Yep, I'll be in touch with you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye.